The following podcast is about so many aspects of life, and life is messy. Adult language and themes ahead. Listener discretion is advised. Trigger warning. Ready yourself, because now we're going there. Taboo Topics are back on the table. Greetings from beautiful sunny California. We're actually here in Studio City because we're going to be taking a little fun trip to Universal Studios tomorrow. And I have with me my beautiful wife, Lindsay. Hello. And we have a special, awesome, awesome guest today, Mr. Caleb Hudson. And if his name sounds familiar, because he's also known as a boy named Barbara, he was our musical highlight of the anti-racist white chick episode from season one. Caleb, thanks so much for being here. Hello there. Thank you for having me. If you could see us right now, we're like in our tiny little hotel room (laughs) and we somehow made this awesome podcasting station in the middle of the room with our table and like furniture. So let's talk a little bit about you. I know we shared your basic bio story on one of our other episodes, but tell our audience a little bit more about who Caleb is. Yeah. uh, Well, in a nutshell, I am a queer LA music producer and marketing strategist because the music producer part hasn't caught up quite yet. So like (laughs) they both coexist in my world. Originally a Minnesota kid. And I was telling you, I'm the product of a conservative upbringing and then had to find my way into a life of authenticity and make my way into beyond accepting into um, being an activist. And so this last Saturday had the honor to put on a really splashy pool party that made a whole lot of money for queer youth, and so that was an uh, that was an honor. Yeah. I purposely didn't ask you some offline questions because I I want to know the answer from you yeah. know straight from the source. So uh, what I loved about obviously about your story that I'm sure everybody loves is you're a boy named Barbara. It was because your grandmother, who was named Barbara, was like the one who accepted you. The story that you're referring to, Matt, is that when I was a little boy, I would run into my grandma's uh, room and I would quickly find her metallic gold shoes and they were these beautiful metallic gold wedges i loved them oh my gosh and if you know her they're so flashy she's not a flashy person but she like she always jokes (laughs) even to this day that they were her best and she said you always did have good taste and it's true (laughs) they were her best and i would put them on and i would wear these around her house and i would pretend that i was playing that music and i would run into the kitchen and grab the turkey baster and pretend it was a microphone and pretend it was hyping up a crowd and i always i loved him and uh, there was a time, I don't remember the exact age, it was somewhere between like six and eight that my parents sat me down in the kitchen and my mom is sitting across from me at the table. Um, it's a really confrontational conversation. So I can feel that energy, you know. Um, my dad is standing behind her. He's got his hand on her shoulder, kind of supporting her through this conversation. And she's explaining to me that boys don't wear girls' shoes and that there's something called gay. And She's afraid that people will think that of me because it's a bad thing. And the last thing we would ever want is for people to think that about you. And she kept saying, like, because you're a normal boy, you know, it's not true. Like, we would, this isn't at all true, but you're a normal boy. Like, of course, we don't want them to think that you're normal. I never wore those gold shoes ever again. And I set out on a quest to be as normal as I could. And Eventually, as a few years go on, I go through the process to understand that I'm actually not normal. 
but I'm in a context where I'm trying to be as normal as possible and afraid of any possible outcome where people realize that I'm not normal. It leads me down a path where I am of, you know, sitting in my bedroom upstairs at the house that I grew up in. And I'm recording my voice over and over again with a cassette player trying to change my voice so I don't sound gay. And it goes to a point where I'm like trying to change my signature because my signature is too loopy and has too many bubbles in it. And I'm trying to make sure it looks more masculine. How can I make sure it doesn't look gay? You know, it keeps going into a, a, a total reinvention. You know, through high school, I'm being called faggot. I'm being called queer. I'm being like the butt of jokes. Um, and this are all in the context of, um, these are all people I know from church. This is all church circles that is this happening. And I make my way to um, college and do a reinvention. I sort of try to like completely reposition myself again on the quest for normal. And that leads me to ultimately graduate college and marry my best friend, who is a, a woman. And we had a wonderful marriage. We were married for you know many years and uh, my life was very normal. I had a house by a lake with a fenced in yard, a dog and a two SU or two cars. American dream. That's this American normal dream. How much more normal can you get? You know, we both had great jobs and good wardrobes. And I mean, it just goes on. We were like very, very normal. Uh, and it just wasn't my life. I was living someone else's life. I'm sure someone else would have been very, very happy with that life. It just wasn't my life. And so I made a change for authenticity and uh, decided to come out. And when that happened, the person who supported me and the person who championed me in my family was my grandma and the grandma with the gold shoes. Uh, I remember like there was a big fight when I came out with my parents and I hadn't seen them or talked to them in six months, which is the longest I'd ever gone without communicating with them. And uh, I was going to Thanksgiving. It was at my grandma's house. And I have this this beautiful memory of showing up with sweaty palms, like getting ready to walk in the room. Um, it's the first time I'm going to a holiday without my former wife by my side. Um, most of the family doesn't know because my parents are embarrassed and won't tell them. I don't know how I'm going to get through the day. I don't know how I'm going to have the conversations. Um, my grandma had called me and asked me specifically to be there and I love her to death. So I showed up and she's uh, not even five foot. She is like four, eight and three quarters. And there she is, like, pushing through this crowd of people in her house. The second she sees me walk through that door, she beelines, like, pushing people out of the way to get to me. She gets her hand on me, and she, she looks me in the eye, and she's like, don't worry. We, I'm going to be right here. You're going to be fine today. And at the end of it, it's you, me, and a bottle of wine. And that's exactly Aww. what happened. <laughs> she was, like, my advocate. She was telling people. She was, like, you know, um, and she was an activist, even supporting, like, gay marriage. In... The years that followed the divorce, I got into my first love, which was music, the very thing I would do when I would wear those gold shoes. And I decided early on that ultimately what would happen is that I would always wear gold shoes every time I performed, every time I was around it, and that I would name myself a boy named Barbara in my grandma's honor to just symbolize everything that she represents about love, authenticity, about inclusiveness, about being a, you know, a champion for the outcast because she's been a part of civil rights. She's been a part of the women's liberation movement. You know, she's champion for gay rights. And I wanted to embody those characteristics. And I think sometimes we pass down a name into, you know, from generation, like sometimes you're like, oh, I have my father's name or my grandpa's name or whatever. And usually those are gender specific. Uh, so I have my dad's middle name. 
you know? And so like, I just think there's a power to like, you know, taking on someone. And I thought, why does gender have anything to do with it? I want to embody the characteristics that are modeled for me by this person, regardless of gender. This is the person that I want to like emulate in my lifetime. And I want to honor that. And so that's why I named myself a boy named Barbara. What's your relationship with your parents and your uh, family now? Uh, the the relationship with my parents now is is good. It's very it's very surface. You know, it's yeah. still there. Um, it's better than it was. They have changed a lot. You know, it's been about um, a almost nine years since that happened. And in that time, that it was a big you know change for them. It was a big shock for them. This is something they've really doubled down against in their lifetime. So it was a really difficult thing for them to get their head around. So I think that you know since that time, they've made a lot of progress. You know, they have um, met boyfriends that I've had over the years, which is amazing. They've only been great to them. Um, they still have a no PDA policy with me, so they don't want to ever see any physical affection or touch with me and someone that I'm with. And they still have a, a sense of like when asked even recently, you know, have they changed their minds at all about being, you know, gay or what it is to me be gay? And they, they have not. They're still like, you know, in the believe that I'm going to hell. And it's a really hard reality and it still definitely impacts the relationship today. What a paradox though mm-hmm. with certain people in my life where uh, it's 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 that struggle of how do I continue to care for this person and have a meaningful relationship when it's so surface. But then, you know, as you're saying this, I'm I'm thinking not not out of pity, but going empathizing what a paradox that must be to say we love our son and that is more important than this but we also feel that this is like this like dire sin how do you how do you you know like how do you come to terms with that and to me shouldn't i and i hate to use this word but there is no better word for it unless caleb can teach me one love should trump everything yeah, yeah, and yeah, and the yeah. PDA you're talking about is just showing love yeah, for somebody, or or maybe yeah. just a booty call, whatever, <laughs> but whatever it is. And that's great too. <laughs> you know, it's so true, and I do think that um, I try to apply that empathy and understanding to my parents now in a place like. I have a really strong sense of self-identity and self-love and like at a confident place in my life now. And so I look back and I think, you know, in the 80s when the news was surrounded with the AIDS epidemic, which was, a, you know, represented in a way that was vilifying to many and cast, um, you know, a, a fear of death over a community. that And so there was some fears embedded around what it meant to be gay you know, through that time frame that again, you know, the early conversations where I'm a little boy, like having those conversations are probably just, you know, still in the heat and you know, the time of that crisis, you know, when they're reading those headlines and you're deeply committed to a faith and a belief system that means a lot. And I think oftentimes it can feel like opening up to a new paradigm or challenging some of those belief systems can be really scary because it feels like it can challenge some belief structures that are really, really set in stone. But I've seen and heard so many stories of people with similar constructs of conservative parents or conservative environments uh, with some LGBTQ individual in their life that have been able to find a love and acceptance that does trump and so it is possible and i really hold the faith that like you know my parents aren't today who they were when i first came out and so i try not to fix in my mind that like i allow them the ability to change 
And I hope that, you know, yeah. 10 years from now, it looks very different. Tolerance is a two-way street, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, I still think you've had to probably be the bigger person for most of your life, <laughs> if not all of it. Um, yeah, there's there's so many horror stories that I hear about, you know, people abandoning their kids and kicking them out of the house and, you know, all the things that happen because they think it's a choice. Yeah. Right. Or they say, God's punishing me. I must have done something wrong. And that's, I mean... There's so many horrible things that we could impact there that we just don't have the time for. But I, I, what I wanted to touch on real briefly was you and I connected, not just because of this podcast, but um, I sent you some notes and then you and I started talking really a lot back and forth because we have pretty similar backgrounds yeah, in the do. sense that your uh, cross to bear was, was being queer in a non-accepting family. Mine was just being very different in a non-accepting family, challenging everything that I was taught. Cause I'm like, this doesn't make sense. I have friends who are X, Y, or Z. They're not bad people. It can't be the only way into heaven is your one way. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so we, we really uh, bonded over the fact that like trauma bonds people and growing up in a uh, not just conservative, but the evangelical world mm -hmm. is it can be traumatizing. Yeah. And I so agree. what was that experience? I know you obviously you talked a lot about it, but there's other things just beyond uh, you have to be straight and. Yes. That fucking word normal. There is no <laughs> normal. You know what normal is? Normal is a setting yeah. on a washer yeah. or a dryer. And yeah. that's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really true. And I, I think that actually one of the biggest divides that I have with my family today is actually the around the faith structure and the belief system. Yeah. Be, just because the, my worldview has expanded so much that I just don't have the same commonality or use the same language that I once did. Mm -hmm. And I, so I totally get what you're saying, how you felt like an outsider you know, take sexuality out of it. You still felt like an outsider when you're so, sort of challenging. Well, sexuality was things. actually a big part of it for me because I could not accept the fact that sex was a sin. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, and I realize you're, you're allowed to have sex with your spouse, mm -hmm. but even then it's like, but don't do anything weird, you yes, know? Like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> your fingers are only meant for picking your nose, man. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that, they never said that, but I, they implied it. Um, I can only imagine if one of my siblings would have been gay, like mm -hmm. that struggle. But again, I think decent people evolve too. Like your parents have evolved as much yeah. as they're right. not as far right. as you'd it like them true. to be. It is true. And I do give them credit for that. Yeah. I think in terms of my own story of coming to terms of the identity or with my own sexuality was around unwiring some things. Um, when it And it starts with, this thing that seems to be such a big issue for the world and the preconditioning that I've been in, um, is it a fault of mine? Did I do something wrong? Am I a victim of it? Did someone else do something wrong? There are a lot of schools of thought that present it as a problem to be fixed. Right. And uh, so I had to walk through this whole series of circumstances and events and a process, I get to the space of, oh, this is, you know, been in me all along. This is a part of who I am. It isn't, I'm not a victim of it. I didn't mess something up. And to just like start to, to get to that place, which led me to a very interesting place, which I don't know that this is something to all of our listeners who, um, you know, have a queer expression, or specifically, I should probably say to a gay expression, 
uh, there was the next thing that I went into once I had finally accepted that, that I was gay and started to make a talk about this in an open way. Um, the next actual thing that I went to is, and I went through it for probably as, almost 10 years, was a whole deal of like, I want to be um, as little gay as possible. And I want to h- be able to hide behind a place where I choose who I tell I'm gay to. I don't want anyone to know it. And if I reveal to my to some that I'm with, oh, you know, by the way, I'm, I'm also gay. And they say, what? No way. That to me is like kudos, like good oh, job. Yeah. I am I am a man. I am masculine. I am like presenting in a way that passes for a right. regular guy. Mm-hmm. That's actually a really being homophobic internally. Correct. You know, yeah. that's yeah. a whole like layer. How do I get now beyond like, okay, I'm not a victim of it. Okay, I'm at home with it and I'm willing to talk about it, maybe even reluctantly sometimes. Mm-hmm. By nature, you have to sometimes acknowledge it. But how do I get to the point where now I'm actually embracing it and I love my gayness <laughs> and I am proud to be a member of my queer community and I want to work on behalf of the next you know, like generation of people that are going to come behind me and stand up and be leaders. Were you still in Minnesota during this period of time? Oh, good question. The chapters sort of like were cities for me um you know in minnesota was the like unwinding of oh it's not uh i'm not a victim of it and i didn't cause it so then from there uh the sort of like reluctantly gay piece of it followed just leaving minnesota and getting to san francisco where in san francisco i was still like learning about oh wow there's lots of different ways to structure a relationship and there's something called an open relationship that actually is just perfectly fine. And like in that space, I was still um, trying to represent myself oftentimes in the most straight context in the sort of masculine sense that I could based on this old notion that I don't want to let my sexuality define me. It's just like this little, you know, asterisk in my life, but that's all it is. It's a footnote at the bottom of the page. It doesn't need to be in my headline. I'm something different. And I would actually be attracted to and find other, you know, boyfriends or a partner that was like equally as invisible so that if I'm out with that individual, there's no one that just look like two bros. Right. That's exactly right. Is that something that you think a lot of, especially in the gay community struggle with? Yeah. And I think it's actually a big problem. I think that's actually one of the biggest things that I'd like to see change. And I think that even internally inside the gay community, representing through dating apps and others, like we sort of hold up this idea of, you know, masculinity and praise, an extremely masculine expression. Um, and again, I'm speaking to a gay experience for the, you know, there are other representations sure. in the queer spectrum, but in, in terms of the gay world, that's, I think, a, a big problem. Yes, I understand what you're saying. And one, I can think of my own biases in the past where I've felt that way. It's like, oh, this normal seeming guy who acts normal and he's not flamboyant, it's cool that he's gay because he's like me. Yes. Or like when they would cast black people who could pass as white as white as possible in films and tv it's like i get you because you dress and talk like me you probably don't like those other ones either that's right and that's kind of what i equate that to i think that's a really good kind of an analogy to it i think there's still this like for many people a separation and oftentimes a criticism even within the community of of what's coined um femme and this this idea that like being somewhere in an expression that has something other than a stereotypical masculine expression is less than. 
And I think there's all kinds of problems with that. I, but I struggled with it so um, much that uh, today was a kind of a, a little personal victory on this and an antidote, my own little story to unravel this. Uh, I was sharing before, I've been on a quest to raise money for queer youth programs, and today I hit a milestone. Thanks to well over 50 people in my world, we were able to put together $6,000, which for me was a bigger goal than I could have ever hoped for myself. So I decided to celebrate that by filming and posting on Instagram a dancing video where I just danced in my apartment to um, a song that I played loudly. And for the first time, I was you know, intentionally like taking off that idea, that filter that I need to dance like a man, that I'm like... And, and any sense of like, how is this going to be perceived? Will this look feminine in any way? And so I'm unwinding that. I'm coming at home. I'm celebrating my sexuality in a way that I've never done before. And that's the liberation piece. Yeah. We talked about freedom when I first arrived before we turned on this mic. But I really do think liberation and freedom is something that I wish we could hand out, like permission slips to people and not just like come to terms with reluctantly so yourself and your desires and your wants but actually celebrate them actually you know invite them to be a part of who you are and be you know willing to go to those spaces i think that's what liberation looks like i said i think one day we need to get rid of all the letters and basically say like we're all in this spectrum somewhere uh even if you're the most hetero person in the world there's still sexual identity issues we all carry around. And you said, well, that's why we're all moving towards the term queer more and more because it kind of just co- covers everything. And you even said, which I just thought was a beautiful thing because I do kind of see it that way, is is like even straight people can be queer because queer, I mean, what is the definition to you? Yeah, the the. The term I think of queer as it is a reclaiming, I don't have like a soundbite definition to give you, but what I've got is like a spirit of like, this is a word that is being restored and reclaimed and that is um, used to represent the fluidity of self-expression and love and that all these different identities that live under this umbrella are um, are given a home under this term of queer. And that involves individuals, you know, that may have a partner of the opposite sex and that's fine you know like this is an encompassing word Mm -hmm. and i want to see us move away from definitive i am statements that feels like they sometimes can lock people into an expression where i've talked with individuals who have expressed a desire or curiosity to Mm -hmm. be with someone of the same gender Mm -hmm. uh, and they feel afraid of these of these sort of thoughts because they're worried about an I am expression. They're yeah. worried about like labeling. And exactly like, you know, maybe they aren't and having an interaction with someone may be all that they want. Maybe that affirms that like they don't want they're not ready to even talk about or express themselves in any form of like a label. Or they're worried about a label being attached to them like a big sticker that they can't get off later. Yeah. And and I really find like if there if we use a more fluid word that allows you to have more, ultimately, the hope is that we have more freedom of self and self-expression and therefore more self-love, therefore more light and joy into our life, into the world around us. And if that for even one moment or experience gives life to an expression of someone with the same gender, so be it. You know, like that is, I think, a beautiful thing. So I love using that term now. And I didn't always. I was used, that term had very negative connotations for me. So I think it's awesome. Because it's reclaiming a term 
and putting it in a positive light. And really, the way I always thought of the word queer, I mean, yeah, there's the negative, like, homophobic connotation, but it's also just, like, different. You know, and growing up, I think we all want to fit in. And then I think just in general, the older you get, the more different you want to be. It's like, I don't want to be, a like, one of everybody else. I don't want to be this this cookie-cutter person. That's what's beautiful about the term. Well, and I think that the word I love is unique. Like, queer queer is unique. And I didn't have this before when you asked that question, but it's just like now in the flow of this conversation that I'm thinking that's what it it is. Like, uh, we're, we're moving beyond even just in my lifetime from the world that introduced me to the term gay before where it truly did represent different to today in mainstream where it I don't know that it is even more. And I think as we're moving away from it, we're getting into this that queer is unique in that it's just a unique, you know, maybe it isn't the conventional, but it is a beautiful, unique self-expression. Yeah, does it have to have the definition tied to it? Like yeah. in the and, past, those labels have, right? Very exclusive for each of those labels, mm-hmm. right? Versus just it is what it is. You know, it's really kind of fun that in my day job, I'm a freelance independent contractor and I get hired by all different brands, agencies, or people to work on different marketing projects. And a great friend of mine who I've known since I was nine years old, who is a gay Christian, ultimately envisions himself to be an author. And he is in the process of making those steps happen. So building a website, um, doing video content, doing photo shoots, getting like a podcast, mini series put together. And I get to be at the center of it all. And the whole thing is about restoring LGBTQ faith. And it's an invitation for what he calls the quiet middle. It's the sort of like, there's so many extremes and loud extremes on both sides that make all the noise, but there's a whole bunch of people in the middle who feel sort of lost to like, they know and feel in their gut that there's a better way to do this, that there's a more loving way to engage, but aren't quite sure what that looks like. And there's probably a variety of reasons. And and are afraid that you don't want to be alienated or outcast by your own group. Yes. And you might be afraid of getting it wrong. Right. Uh, So this is an invitation to do that in, in differently. And he's got a beautiful way that he's, you know, going about that. And how cool is it that here I am as a person who's recovering from a conservative background myself and has a, you know, come a long way and how I don't actually get the luxury to like write off the world and walk away from it, that even my world is reorchestrated in a way that I get to go back and in so doing that like, heal old spaces for me around things with this, you know, old paradigm. And I love it. And I think it's so exciting. I'm really excited to be a part of a project that is an invitation to a new conclusion. At the same time that I'm working in these spaces with you know, non-binary individuals and raising money for queer teens, that I'm also like working with the conservative middle and trying to move the needle and create an invitation to a new reality, moving away from a fear-based model into more of a love-based model. And I'm really excited where that could look like. It's certainly not anything. I mean, if you talked to me a year ago and thought that this is what I would be doing, I would be shocked. Yeah. Uh, that's a beautiful that's thing. Amazing. One day, hopefully, we get a redefined Christianity, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the, I got this from the author that I'm supporting, but he always says, like, we need to change it. So, like, Christianity does not need to be the moral police. Like, that's great. Yeah. I love that. If you don't mind, I want to share candidly, like, one of my first emails to you, we were going back and forth, and I said, you know what? I would love for you to check out this episode where I talk about conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. And I asked you for feedback because I genuinely... I 
I personally know I misstep all the fucking time. I'm human. <laughs> like it, the thing is, I think when somebody knows yeah. that your heart's in the yeah. right place, they don't tell you, don't do that. You asshole. It's a, I want you to learn from me. Cause Education. you're asking and you educated me yeah. in an email and, and I took it like, thank you so much. Yeah. And what was that? That was a really beautiful exchange because you sent me this and you opened the door for, for feedback in the anti-racist white chick episode, which is great, by the way, you were talking about feedback and there's a whole conversation about how you actually genuinely want it. Yeah. And I had just recently listened to that and I thought, okay, well, here he is in this email asking for feedback. I just heard him emphatically say that he does want this. So, all right, I'm going to open the door. In the episode, there's a point where you're playing back a story um, and you're, you're communicating that you had an early experience inside of a church context where they were maybe holding up a couple of individuals who were in that world being portrayed as a success story because they were no longer, you know, gay. They had gone through a, a, a whatever the process looked like but that's was the that was the context of the story in it you wanted to convey that the individual i think there was the guy being represented wasn't changed and you were using voice as a way to represent it yeah. so you you know you embodied it in instead in, of saying yeah. he had a very flamboyant voice or something like that or whatever well, it may and, have been Exactly. And I think that that I is, impersonated the guy which for is, comedic effect. <laughs> totally. And I, I I think that like the the spirit, even when you said it, though, like you weren't a, it wasn't a criticism to him. It was an affirmation story because you were at the end of the day giving having early awareness of something that felt very off to you and something very it did not feel right yeah. about that day. And to this day, you're playing it back now because it felt off. Made a huge impact. On it me. made a huge impact, and that was the most important part. What you were even saying around him was even sugarcoating this too much. <laughs> so I, I, what I wanted to bring up, and I did through this email, was a sensitivity around voice. In the gay world, there's a lot of conversation around um, the gay voice. I told you early on, I was recording my own voice, trying to change it. It's just a very sensitive thing, and we didn't get into this in the email, but I think it's a point that I want to make that ultimately. The sexuality and our own orientation isn't related to the tone of our voice or our likes or interests. We might like the color pink and still want to be with a woman. I mean, it's just, it doesn't, there's no link between I like or listen to this music and have this interest and, or I talk this way and I'm this way. But it was a beautiful thing. And here's why I want to, here's why I'm bringing it up. You told me a little bit, but you definitely shared more in this podcast episode about that thing. And, and that's, to me, that's what learning is about. What makes it even better is don't be afraid to say the wrong thing. Yes. If the other person is there and knows that you're coming from a place of love, he I didn't read your email back to me like you were scolding me. It was like a, here's what you sh should be careful with because it could be, and that's a beautiful thing. So many people are like, you're trying to cancel me. No one's trying to cancel you <laughs> if you're going in with good intentions. And even yeah. somebody who... After you told me that, I did feel bad. Although that was a conversation you and I had, Lindsay, where I was like, should I keep it in? Should I take it? And you're like, you know what? If somebody tells you that was bad, at least they're listening, yes. right? <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Well, and ultimately, that's actually that it, it wasn't a criticism. And don't feel bad. I think that the spirit that people walk away with that ultimately is that you had early awareness that something felt wrong. And I, that's what I walked away with. You know, he's talking with a lisp. 
everyone, isn't this ridiculous? We all know he's gay because he has a list. And that's the thing. In real life, he probably didn't even have a list. Who knows? Like, you know, in my mind, I turned him into a character because the whole thing was a cartoon. Yes. But the real takeaway was I watched two people being forced yeah. into something that they did not want to be because we did not accept them for who they were. And they had to choose between being a Christian or being a homosexual. That's right. And that is so fucked up. Well, and so this this was part of my story as well. And I came out to my wife a few years into the marriage and stayed married. And we went through um, a whole process. And I went through my version of conversion therapy for like married gay men who wanted to be straight. And there were a variety of success stories held up. I went to Texas often. And... So I lived through this whole piece, even to the point of being on stage. And we were both on stage oh, together, Jesus. you know, well over 500 people in the audience. As a success story. As a, as a success story. So even in that, it, damaging, yes, certainly a terrible thing. Absolutely wish I had never done that or gone through that path. And it was still in that whole space of like w- being gay or being Christian. And what does that look like? There's all kinds of players to unravel there, but that was a a little hit home moment for me because of my own. I purposely asked you to listen to that episode. I know. Yeah. (laughs) And it's because- And you didn't know. You had no idea at that time. You had no no. idea. No. So I purposely teed up what I thought was one of the most controversial things, at least that maybe you would see as controversial. (laughs) Like, you know, I would ask my, if I really wanted my mom's feedback, which I don't, I would ask her, (laughs) I would, I would ask her to listen to an episode that where I essentially bash- I, and I try not to Christian bash. Do you identify as a Christian? You know, it's funny. We had a whole conversation about it this week. Um, I say yes, but in its purest form. I think I identify as a Buddhist more than a Christian anymore. But I also think Christ was a Buddhist. So there's that, which I've been poo-pooed on for saying that by hardcore Christians. They're like, <laughs> how dare you? I'm like, read a little bit about Buddhism. It, it Like Christ oh and Buddhism goodness. go hand in hand. Do you still identify as Christian? No, I do not. And I do not specifically, well, for a few theological reasons, but I also do not because uh, I do not represent what I believe Christianity represents. And I want my life to speak to something very different. This is never the first time I've ever publicly said that. And uh, it feels really good to say that out loud. I know lots of people who embody what Christianity is supposed to be and identify nothing close to it. And you strike me as that person. That means a lot. That means a lot. And I don't care if you're atheist, agnostic, Jewish, whatever, love your neighbor, turn the other cheek and you are fighting temptation to hate because it's so fucking easy to hate. And instead you're showing love and you're not doing what has been done to you. You're not looking for vengeance or revenge. To me, there's nothing actually more Christ-like than that. Mm -hmm. And that is a big compliment because that is the space of the faith that I resonate with. Exactly what you articulated is what I want to embody. And that's such a compliment that you're saying that because I think that there is great beauty and great truth inside of that. And you've just done such a wonderful job, you know, highlighting those spaces that I feel like are full of truth. But like what I come back to is that ultimately I want my life to be that much more full of light and love. I want to radiate. I want to fill a room with it. I want to like 
be of light and love. And I want every conversation that I'm in, every interaction with I'm having with an individual to be in service of that ultimate goal. Like even if there's an opportunity to learn and expand in the context of it, it's still in the spirit of and light and love coming back to you. And I really do think that's true. And that's ultimately why our exchange was just so positive and led to a great friendship. And ultimately that was a, a, a doorway into a whole conversation with us that led to today sitting here right now. He's sitting here. I, it's not often I invite men who I know are out into my hotel room by themselves. The way <laughs> it, what you're talking about with like love and light, The people who may oppose or even advocate against your lifestyle would say the same things about themselves. Well, and I could become the very thing that I don't want to represent in that I project onto conservative Christians. So just as the conservative world could cast aside the queer space, criticizing it from afar, pointing fingers at it, I could actually do that same thing too. And I could say I'm all about love and then hate the people that represent hate to me and almost feel justified in doing that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the calling, the high calling here is that I like move beyond that and I don't actually replicate a world that, that somehow feels familiar and almost justified that there's a space beyond that. And that's the space that I think we want to get to. And it's the space on the other side of the battle lines. That's the place where the rainbows really live. And that's where the color shines the brightest. What, my very strong temptation to just sort of discard. The or even vilify, Christian. maybe? Vilify, yes. Yes, yes, yes. The hardest people for me to love are Christians. If we are going to be Christ-like, then we have to get on board with the outcast. Christ's life shows that he always, always put himself amongst, in, and fully supporting whoever was made to feel like they're on the outside looking in. That's where I'm camped out. That is much greater than a conversation around sexuality. You know what another word for outcast could be? What's that? Queer. Yeah. yeah. Jesus no, it's true. It's advocated... True. For queer people before it was cool. Yeah, I, I really, I, I mean that fully. And I think that Jesus' life actually gives us permission to radically love the outcast. There's just some really great work happening around this space. There's some really great theology work that's been done around it to understand and unpack it. Matthew Vines comes to mind as a brilliant person who's, he wrote a book called God and the Gay Christian, I think is what it's called. And there's a, so there's a variety of like research out there. There are incredible stories and books by parents who have had a queer child and they've said, you know, I don't know where God is going to land on this, but no one outside this house is going to love my child more than me. And they've come down hard on like, I'm going to love my son or my daughter. Yeah, there's a lot. I, I just hope that it's a this even this conversation is an invitation. If this is at all striking a chord with someone listening right now that feels like, you know, they've been connected to a belief system and they've have a desire to ask some new questions and to walk into a different space. And I think this is a great time to do that. Do you have some sites and or some of your charities that you want to plug? Oh, yeah. Okay. If you're listening to this and you've got thoughts or feedback for me, my Instagram is uh, CalCalHudson. So that's C-A-L-C-A-L-H-U-D-S-O-N, CalCalHudson. If you want to be an advocate for uh, the outcast and join my 
financial quest to support LGBTQ youth, there's a link to financially contribute to the scholarship programs I mentioned, giving access to. Uh, also through my Instagram, there's a link in my bio, and you can check out that. Uh, and then later, when I get this project that I've been talking a lot about today with this intersection of faith and sexuality is interesting to you, I've got a new website coming on that, uh, and that'll be going live in a couple of months. So I'll send it to you and you can post it underneath. Absolutely. So we'll just keep it all. We're just going to keep all of these like yeah. great resources flooding to you. Not only am I, do I feel extremely blessed and humbled to have met you, to get to know you and to be invited into just a sneak peek of, of your life out here. It's enriched mine uh, tenfold. So thank you so much. And thanks for taking time to come to my CD hotel and uh, no, I'm kidding. it's a very nice hotel. Oh, I always meet married men at CD. <laughs> no, just kidding. Just kidding. This is just another Wednesday for Matt Pallotta. I, I echo Matt's sentiments, but thank you so much. It's been such just a pleasure and, and an honor to be invited into this space and have this conversation focusing on love and, and self-acceptance and then acceptance of the others around you. So more love is, is better. This has been so beautiful. And one of the things that I think has made today so special for me is meeting people who are so like-minded in the pursuit of expanding and increasing our awareness and increasing the way that we are loving and being a part of meaningful conversations. And you two are doing that. I've never met more like big champions you know, for this whole quest. And we are all in this big mess of life getting, you're, no one's got it right. Everyone's just kind of like money and getting along and you guys are doing it and you're in it and you're in it in a free way. And being in the room with you, I can sense the chemistry between you and I can just feel that like space that you're like gravitating into more and more freedom, that you are like living in more, more like vulnerable and authentic ways with each other. And then you've created this channel, this portal through this podcast for the rest of us to be along your journey. So I just want to like say over this podcast and over both of you that I just hope that the, in the years to come, you go on this incredible quest that leads you to new and incredible destinations that you can't even imagine today right now in his CD hotel room <laughs> that you can't even imagine. And that ultimately you give us the opportunity to go with you on that journey because that's all that we could ever want as the people listening. Pack your bags. Oh! <laughs> On the next episode of the Going There podcast. How we doing out there? Look at all these men. A pride party being possibly the only straight man there. <laughs> we are raising money for youth to also connect them to outdoor spaces and the health and the leadership opportunities that it provides. What does Juneteenth mean to me as a black, trans, femme, non-binary drag queen? I know this long list. This is me. We just went there. Now you can go to the goingtherepodcast.com for links to our socials and all the places you can hear the podcast. So what did you think about this episode? And be honest, let us know by leaving us a review, you know, sharing your thoughts and subscribing and be a cool person. Tell a friend. This podcast is made possible by its hosts and Frame One Media in association with Lindsay Baker, Tyler Kubisti, Michael Madgar, Joe Callie and Bobby Thomas. 